seven deadly sins, six weeks because we're overachievers. We've been going through it, and it's been, it's been pretty meaty stuff. And I, and I, I hope that as we, we go through this series that, that God's been setting you free. Because these are things that have been killing us slowly. We always talk about the deadly sins. We think they're like big, massive things. But I hope that through this time you recognize that actually they're the insidious things that cause all kinds of problems in our life. And today is one that causes all kinds of problems, not just in our life, but in society as a whole. And that's lust. And so today's memory verse that we're going to go through comes from Hebrews 13.4. We've already memorized it once this year, so hopefully it will be easy. Um, It's a hard one. And it's a heavy one, but it's a powerful one. So here we go. Say it along with me. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Hebrews 13.4. I know you feel almost guilty saying it, don't you? Because you're like, God's going to judge? Yeah, the Bible actually talks about that. Most of us don't know that. That God actually cares. And he does. And so don't feel bad. This is the word of God. And think about this. This is not bad news. Marriage is awesome. God loves it so much, and he made it in purity. And he's calling us to something better. This is not a passage for the unbelieving world. This is a passage for us. How awesome is that? So let's say it again. We'll do it two more times, one with words and one without them, okay, to test ourselves. Here we go. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Hebrews 13.4. Oh, you sounded pretty good. Let's do it now. Test ourselves. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Hebrews 13.4. Oh, very good. I saw you all panic just a little bit when the words disappeared. But you did good. You did good. All right, we'll get to it. Talk about lust and purity. But before that, this is the end of a series. So far, as we've gone through the seven deadly sins, there's nothing magic about the seven deadly sins. But these are sins that the church has looked at and said these cause all kinds of problems in people's lives. So we started the very beginning of this six weeks ago with, with pride. And that is the first of all sins. In fact, that's the sin that every other sin that comes from, right? Pride is putting ourselves on the throne of our own life. It's actually putting anything on that throne other than God, but pride usually starts with me, and it says, I know what's right, not God. And every other sin, every other brokenness in this world starts with that. And we talked about how then God, he fixes pride, how Christ showed us to overcome pride with humility. How when Jesus came, he didn't just step up and say, hey, you have to worship me because I'm, I'm God, because he was and he is, but instead he served us. And he said, you know what, there's a love that I can, I, can, I can show and I can submit myself. Even Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father, didn't he? And he shows us a different way of living, a way that actually brings life. And so he calls us to follow him in humility. To say, it's not my way, but God's way, and God's way works. And then we talked about how pride, it can lead to this thing called envy. You know, envy gets so upset because it starts really with pride. It says that I should have all good things, and when you have something good, that should be mine. But we can fix that. We can realize that, that, you know, we can be happy for other people and their blessings because God blesses us with far more than we deserve because God is a kind God. And so he overcomes envy with kindness that every single one of us is already receiving far more blessings than we ever could have deserved. And not, that's, that's not all. The best is yet to come. And if God has been so kind to us, then we can show kindness to one another. And he can free us from that trap of just comparing and all that kind of stuff and instead be content. And grateful. It's a whole different way of living that leads to a lot less stress and a whole lot less strife. 
And then we talked about how envy, when it's not dealt with, can lead to wrath, can't it? And wrath can be good. There is righteous wrath, like God gets upset with things. But most of our wrath happens because we feel that people have have sinned against us, right? Not against God. We get mad because people have have offended us. And that causes all kinds of trouble. In fact, it says a hot-headed person commits many sins. Isn't that true? Right? And so we found out that, that this wrath, when it's run amok, when I'm sitting on the throne of my life and I get mad at people because they're not worshiping me and doing what I want and, and I have the wrong expectations, it can, can destroy my life and it can destroy families, it can destroy a society. But Jesus, he showed us a different way. He, he destroyed wrath with something called patience. In fact, we found in God's word that, that God, he's not slow to judge. We talked about today in our memory verse. There isn't a judgment coming, but why is it not today? It says he's being patient not wanting any to perish. That God is very patient. That's why he's, he's waiting. If God has been patient for you and for me, like he waited for you to come and he waited for you to come to Christ. He's been so patient. He didn't judge you for the stupid things that you've done and he hasn't judged me for the wicked things that I have done. The very moment I did, and there was no lightning bolts from heaven, no toasted toes, right? God has just waited because he's, he's patient because he loves us. And if God can be so patient with us, how much more can we be patient with one another? Jesus showed us that patience. Even when they were nailing to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, it's an amazing thing, our God, how patient he is. And he shows us how we can be patient with others, even when they do offend us, even when they do hurt. Right? And not only that, uh, we have a God that, that uh, helps us then with gluttony and greed. And we talked about with gluttony and greed, how gluttony and greed are... are uh, it's a wrong relationship with this world, right? Gluttony tries to find uh, fulfillment in the things of this world, right? And through, through pleasure. And say, so if I have enough pleasure, then I'll, be, then I'll be fulfilled. And we find out that there's never enough pleasure to give us value and purpose in life. And so it ruins us. Or greed, where we find to find fulfillment in, in the acquirement of things, where my security is in stuff and how that stuff is just uh, not all that trustworthy, and how God frees us from that through giving us temperance and generosity. We saw that in Christ's life, how, how you know, Jesus went without things that he, he could have had because he's God, things that he deserved. And he said, I'm not going to have those things for your good. I'm going to take what God wants from me in this life, the right things, and I'm going to own the things that I have, not the other way around. And he calls us to do the same thing. And with generosity, realizing that everything that we have already belongs to God. And God can give whatever he wants to anyone he wants, anytime he wants. And it changes our mentality. I'm not in this for myself. In this, we've been freed from this false idea that plagues the mind of unbelievers, that they've got to somehow find their security in these things. And, and, and they're going to find their security in what they own and what they wear or where they live, what they're going to eat. And it says that that really occupies the thinking of most people all the time. But once we realize how generous our God is to us and that his promises are true and that he cares for us, whole different kind of way of thinking. I don't give from what I have. I give from what God wants me to give. I give from what, what God's plans are, what he's allowed me to be able to participate in his great work. It's a totally different way of living. It leads to radical kinds of generosity, not just what I give on Sunday, but what I give in my entire life. And God sets us free because he set the standard for us. Jesus lived a new way. And then last week we talked about how he frees us from sloth, from laziness. And laziness, not so much in not doing anything, but just doing the wrong things. Just being busybodies, being busy about our own lives because we're serving ourselves instead of being busy serving God and building his kingdom, eternal things. 
And he does that through giving us this idea. It's called diligence by setting our priorities and, and saying, you know what, God, you're first and your kingdom first and what you're about is better than what I'm about. And we get to do this together and we're going to work at this because the kingdom of God is, is, is being built in this world today. You know, when we talk about we're going to saturate the Estes Valley with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's not just showy words. We are close. We are really close. In fact, when I come back from my sabbatical, there's a sermon that I already put together. I'm so excited to show you. I will show you graphically and with a picture and everything exactly how close we are. And you will be amazed. We are, we are on the verge of doing some great, amazing things. Diligence. It requires each of us to do our part because you have a part in this body. And God, in that, when we are diligent, we stop living busy lives in the rat race and we start living lives with purpose and with meaning and with peace and with balance. It's an amazing thing. And today, we, we finish the line. We go through and we cross the finish line talking about that last of, of the seven deadly sins, the one that, that no one ever wants to talk to and it's about lust. And I know that when I talk about lust, it's not a popular thing, right? That's why I put it last because I'm being diligent, but i also procrastinating. Right? Uh. But lust is an epidemic. In our society, lust is epidemic. It's everywhere. In fact, I was trying to watch a movie with my son. We were trying to rent like a Disney movie. It's amazing how scantily clad they, 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 they put the, the people, not just gals, but guys now too. And they have all these innuendos and these things like that. I mean, even our children. In fact, last night, when I, before I went to bed, I watched the news. And on the news, there was, an art, or there was a, 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 a report that, uh, that five-year-old girls now are having body image issues right? That's sick. And they're talking about how do we show these young gals that they're more than just their body? You know, Jesus already talked about that. And he gives us a different way, but the problem is our, our world is looking and saying there's symptoms of lust in our society. It's ruining kids. It's hurting our families, but they won't go back to the source. If we can't root out the poison, then we can't solve the problem. And so today we're going to talk about that. You know, one of the symptoms that I found was an article uh, that was printed uh, uh, four weeks ago because I had to update my notes. And it was by, uh, through the Pew Research. And they said that 70% of men and uh, 70% of men and 65% of women self-report that they view pornography on a regular basis. And on a regular basis is what they meant, at least once a week. That's in our society. You know, and, and not only that, there's a more conservative one that came out that said it was 50% of women, but the difference was is how often they said it was regular. Is it weekly or daily? The reality is, is that if you're struggling with, with lust, you're not alone. There are a lot of us in here, if we're honest, that are struggling with lust. It's part of our society. In fact, those of you who know my personal history, when I was, Amy and I were first married, I got addicted to pornography. It was there, and I got sucked in. It started as a moral problem, and then it became out of something I couldn't get myself out of. And so I reached out for help, and I have an awesome wife who, instead of condemning me, helped me. And we went to our pastor and Scott, and, and he helped me, and I got some accountability. I got some other men that were around me, and I had some fences that people put around um, areas of my life, and, and it took years and that's a fire you don't want to play with. And I know that there are, there are men and women in this room right now that are struggling with that. And I will tell you there is freedom available. But you can't get there alone. And we're going to talk about where that freedom is. But we are a culture that is saturated with this. Lust is epidemic. And it's destroying families. It's destroying people. It's making us hate how we look. It's making us question our own identity of who we are. It's making us doubt the love of our spouse and those around us. Is turning us against one another. This whole war of the sexes was not from God. There is a different way to be, and God calls us to it. 
But I'll tell you, I know that our culture has zero tolerance for any discussion on this topic, especially from God's perspective. I know that because every time I talk about this, I get love notes. And it's not just from people in our congregation, but it's those wonderful people that also get to listen to us online. Our culture doesn't want to hear about this. I will be called a bigot because I'm going to talk about it. But I will tell you, I love everybody. And so does God. I'll be called intolerant because I'm going to say there is a standard. And there is a standard. But it doesn't mean that we we hate those who don't have that standard. But it means that there's a standard. We have to be willing to say, you know what, we're going to talk about is not politically correct and that's okay as long as it's correct. But if we're going to talk about correct thing, let's talk about truth, not just in truth. Let's talk about truth in love. Because God is, when he gives us life, when he gives us that light, he does it to free us, not to condemn us. And so we're going to talk about today, but first we have to talk about if we're going to be light, if there is freedom, we've got to talk about the darkness. And I'm going to talk about it with, with, I'm not going to dance around it. We're going to talk about what it is. And I know it's not popular, and I know it's going to be hard to hear. I get it. I had to read it. I have to talk about it, okay? (laughs) So, So there's your trigger warning. It's not politically correct. But I will tell you this. There's a correction that God is putting us on because the course that we are on right now is for towards destruction. So let's start by saying, why is lust so bad? Well, lust is bad because it leads to destruction. That's what the Bible says. If you don't believe me, let's turn into our Bibles. Let's see, Romans chapter 1. It's on page 782 if you've got one of our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, please take one of ours. Um, We'd be gladly, you can just keep it, our gift. And... uh, in Romans chapter 1, we're going to st- I'm going to start reading for you, and uh, you can read along with me. It's going to be on verse 21, and uh, just see if this sounds at all familiar. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped the, the, they, they and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations with with unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they would do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness and evil and greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Does that sound somewhat familiar? This is not new. 
Ours is not the first culture that has been saturated with lust. And it won't be the last. It's a part of the human condition. But it's a human condition that brings all kinds of bad things. It brings destruction. You see, lust starts with idolatry. Did you see that? It says they knew who God was, but they failed to worship him. Instead, they worshiped things created in the image of man, and I think that's exactly where we are. That's why our young boys and girls have body image issues, right? We worship ourselves and worship things that look like us, and it's us also reptiles and other kinds of crazy things, but not worshiping God. We put other thing, anything on the throne of our life other than God, and things go askew. Lust begins with idolatry. When God's morals are replaced, the door is open for everything else, isn't it? And that's what it talks about. It says they didn't worship God and therefore all these bad things happened. It starts with we try to replace God in our life. When we start to say, God, my morals, not your morals, that's when we run into trouble. And that's why I'm saying our culture has replaced our morals. Our culture has definitely has a different set of morals and they call us immoral for believing what God has said. They'll call you narrow-minded, backwards, bigoted, all kinds of things. You are immoral. What God says is immoral compared to what the world has to say. When the world is on the throne, the world has their set of standards and God has his and he will not share the throne. As we go through the day, we're going to look at what God's standards are. I think that's only fair. In fact, we're here to be disciples of Jesus, right? And part of being that is to learn to obey in all that he commanded. How can we do that if we don't know what he commands? And so I know that's hard to talk about these things, but I think we need to be brave enough to look and what does the word say? So let's, let's do it. So verse 24, 25, it says that God's not going to stop us from getting what we want. I think that's powerful for us. It says where God, therefore, gave them over for, to their sinful desires and of, of their hearts and the sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. God's not going to stop us as a culture from, from writing our own rules. In fact, I think that's a huge thing for us as Christians. We're not here to, to demand other people they follow God. If, if, they, if God isn't their God, God says, fine. Let you live the way you want to live. You're free to do it. But for those of us that are here, if we call Jesus Lord, we need to really think about what it means to call him Lord. There is a different way. But understand this, that God will let us run amok. He will let us actually have what we think we want. And what we find out, the things that we think we want are the very things that destroy us. You see, lust is a perversion. It's a perversion of what God wanted. It's a difference from how he designed things to be. It wasn't supposed to be like that. And because of that, and because God won't stop us from getting those things, lust in itself is a curse. It's God saying, hands off. Fine, I'll let you have what you want. And we look at what a blessing is, is what joy is when we walk in wholeness and truth, when God is with us in our life and we're living in a different way, that's blessing. But lust itself, when we start to say, God, no, my way, my ethics, my morals in this area, not yours, that's a curse because God will let us get what we want. And that should scare us deeply because what happens in this is that actually the sexual perversion, first thing it does is it degrades us. It degrades us and who we are. It says, therefore, God gave them over their sinful desires for the degrading of their bodies with one another. The way that we practice with one another, the thing is like, uh, sex is an amazing thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it affects more than one person, doesn't it? And so how we, how we act in this way, if my impurity actually affects another person. And then we degrade each other. 
in an act that was supposed to build one another up. And it does, and it brings about shame, and it brings all kinds of of difficulties and bad feelings and and broken relationships. But it's also, it starts, it's a denial of God's created order. When we say to God, we have a different set of standards in this than you, we're saying, we know how the universe should operate more than you, God. Your ways are old-fashioned. He's like, yeah, I was there at the beginning, right? (laughs) I know how things are supposed to work, and I haven't changed the design. So God, we would look at this and we say, uh, we want to do things our way. It's a denial of, of who he is as the creator. It's pretty arrogant of us to think that we know how humans are supposed to operate. If those of you who are married, you understand your spouse fully? Do you understand yourself fully, any of us? No, there are things that I do in my life and I'm like, why on earth did I do that? God knows us. He knows how we're supposed to operate, especially in this important area of our life. Verses 26 to 27, it says, if we reject God's morals... Uh, we will permit anything that we want. There's, no, there's nothing to stop us. Once we say our rule's not God's, we'll do anything. Um, 26 says, Because of this, he gave them over to shameful us, and even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way for men who abandoned natural relations with, with women and were inflamed with lust for, other, for one another. Men committed shameful acts with men and received themselves to do error. I think that it's important for us to see that when we remove the standard... When we stop saying, God, you, this is your design, we're going to live according to your design, and he says, fine, rewrite the rules however you want, there is no barrier. I, and I think, you know, 30 years ago, where we are today, people would be abhorred by, right? They would, if you got somebody from the, from the 80s, and you said, this is where culture is today, even the most liberal of them would have looked at and said, you know, socially liberal, would have looked at and said, oh my goodness, there's no way we could have gotten this far. When we start removing breaks, we look at other societies and we look at the things that they've done and we think, oh, that's horrible. Like we look at the uh, the Middle Eastern religions that would burn their children, their firstborn children alive, right, for for to having good crops. And we look our, down our noses at them and we say, how could they possibly do that? How they could possibly do that is they deny God's design and his order. And eventually that slope led them to where they were till it made sense to burn their children alive. We understand that that there is a standard that God has and it's not, it's not to make him feel better. God doesn't need us to feel good. It's to protect us. It's to give us life and a better way of living. And when we start removing those things, it says, you know what? It's a slippery slope. Start with lust and then all of a sudden you start denying even what, what sex was designed for even what it is. We start doing crazy things like redefining marriage. We start doing crazy things like redefining identity. Right? Where does it stop? And God will not stop it. He'll let us, as a culture, go down that path. You know, and I, I know that it's really a touchy subject, and I know homosexuality is something that everybody says, you're bigoted if you talk about it, and there's standards there. We don't hate homosexuals. God does not hate homosexuals at all. Any more than he hates people that are, that are adulterers, right? Any more than he hates people that, that uh, destroy marriages. Any more than he hates people that, that marry more than one wife, right? God doesn't, God hates sin, he came to this cross to die for sinners. That shows how much he loves them. There are people in our congregation that struggle with same-sex attraction. Guaranteed. Right? There's nothing sinful about same-sex attraction. It's sinful about acting on it. There's nothing wrong with me being attracted to more than one person. I'll tell you, when, when, if you're a guy and you're going through and you're looking, you're like, that's an attractive woman. Or if you're a woman, you're like, oh, that's an attractive guy. Nothing wrong with feeling the attraction. Totally something wrong with doing something about it. Right? What we have to recognize is that God calls every person 
homosexuals, heterosexuals, single people, married people, old people, young people, all people to the same standard. And that standard is purity. That's what he calls us to. We don't handle people differently. It's the same standard. God said, this is how I designed it, and there's a place for you, and I can help you, and I love you. But we have to start by saying there's a standard, don't we? But when we remove the standard and we say, well, that's okay, we say God is wrong in that area, then there's nothing to stop us from going down the line and removing all standards. And that's exactly where we find ourselves. And God's standard is this, that sex outside of marriage is sin. Period. You have the memory verse, right? That's from God's word. And it doesn't say that, you know, that the marriage bed should be kept mostly pure, Right? that God will judge certain kinds of the sexually immoral. He says every sexually immoral person. God cares. He has a standard and he will hold us to it for our good. That's his standard. Verses 26 or 28 to 31 talks about how perversion is a gateway to other kinds of depravity. See, there's a reason. Like people who don't understand God, I haven't walked along with them and they say, why is God so mean on this whole sexual perversion thing? Like why does it seem like he's all caught up on that? Here's why. It's the gateway to all kinds of other brokenness in our life. It's the area in our life where we say, I feel that this is right. And so God, I'm going to go with my feelings on this and not you. And once we do that, then we remove those boundaries and all of a sudden we find all kinds of other perversions, areas in our life that become broken. And so we read in verse uh, 28, it says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, you see how it begins? It started with lust. It started with sexual perversion. But once it started there, what happens? It says, so God gave them over to depraved mind. It actually changes how we think. We redefine our morals to be, we call what was evil good and we call what, we, what God calls good evil. And so what happens? Well, then we do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. We wonder how we got where we are as a society. How did we get to the point that we became God-haters? Saying about God, you're not welcome in our public space. We're not allowed to talk about you with family. How did we get to a point where we say, God, your standards, your morals are immoral? It started here. We opened the door. We said to God, not your ways, our ways. And now what happens is we have a society that is filled with rage and hate and all kinds of other of these bad things which break lives apart. And we have news reports at 10 o'clock talking about how our girls are, are having huge body image problems and can't accept themselves and are hurting. And, and we have all kinds of other issues. And we say, why? Why is there so much brokenness? This is why we opened the door to it. We decided that we would be impure. We decided to follow ourselves and not God. And it started out, it acted out in the areas of our natural lusts and our passions. But then it moves into every other part of our life. So perversion is a gateway to depravity. It gives us over a depraved mind. It changes how we think. Till we actually come to the point that we actually think wicked things are good. And good things are wicked. Lust leads to to pride. It defines a defiance against God. Look at that verse 32. It says, although they knew God's righteous uh, decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they approve of those who practice them. Isn't that how it works? 
We start down this path and then all of a sudden we get on a, on a holy crusade against God and against his people and the way that he, he says things to be done. We get to the point that people actually say, you know what, now I'm not even going to believe that the Bible is a Bible. Why? Because you've studied it? Because you've done the historical work? Because you've looked to see is this actually a trustworthy document? Because I have and it does stand up. Why are you rejecting the word of God? I don't like what it says. It's backwards. It's telling us outdated things. I've had people tell me those words. They're staking their eternity on a feeling, on a selfish feeling and a stupid one at that. But the thing is, is where they're at. Where do they get to the point where they can say, I'm going to judge God. He doesn't have the right to judge me. What a crazy idea. Where did it come from? Depraved mind. And it came to the point that they said, not only am I on this, I am right. God is wrong and we're going to go to war against God. Oh, good luck with that. But that's what we're doing in society, isn't it? Every single celebrity, everyone that you see, every movie, every talk show, everything is telling us that what God says here is wrong and that you're backwards if you believe it. We as a society have decided with God, we are going to revolt against you. Good luck with that. And God says, fine, you can do it. It doesn't hurt me, but it hurts us. Look at our society. Is there love? Do we care for one another? Do we really see past the brokenness to see the people where they're at? Are we so busy defending the people that we think should have some kind of special rights or our own privacy that we begin to judge one another and call each other horrible names to the point that our children are hurting and suffering and our families are falling apart, that we have no vision of what family even can be, that the majority of the kids in our schools don't even have two parents, And we're putting huge burdens on single parents and and working themselves to death just so they can support themselves. Do we see the pain and suffering that we're causing? God sees it. And he loves us enough to tell us the truth. And he says, you're welcome to build your kingdom, but you know what? I'm going to invite you to a better way. No, but before we do that, you have to see how serious this is. We look at some of the words of Christ. We say, Jesus, why are you so strong on these things? This is why, because he loves us. And he is strong on these things. Look what he says in Matthew 5. Greatest sermon ever preached, Sermon on the Mount. He says this, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. This is so little to do with legalism. It's the opposite of legalism. In fact, that's what he was addressing. Because so many of us think, Oh, well, I'm just going to keep the law in, in, in its, you know, just in textbook form, but I'm not going to be pure here. Jesus says, I want you to be pure from the heart out. I want you to, to be pure all the way in, Right? And how seriously does he tell us that we should take this? That it's not just about, you know, are you going online and viewing things? Is our heart, is our attitude saying, God, we're going to take our ways, not yours? How serious are we supposed to take this? Look what he says right after this. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to lose a part of your body than to be thrown, your whole body be thrown into hell. And just in case we didn't trust him on that, he goes over again. He says, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better if you lose part of your body than for your whole body be thrown into hell. Now, let's be honest. If we took Jesus literally at this, we would all walk around blind without hands. Right? What is he calling us to? I think part of this, he's not saying, we can't just say, oh, we're not supposed to take that literally so it doesn't matter. No, it matters. He's telling us something. He's giving us a very real thing. If we start living this life according to what I want to see and what I want to do, I may gain this world. I may get some temporary pleasure. But I will forfeit my place in the kingdom. If I build my kingdom here and I don't live for Christ's kingdom, where's, where's the hope? So you've got to look at your own life and take it serious. You can't play footsie with sin 
It will destroy you. It will destroy your life. You've got to be serious about it. Sexual sin has deadly consequences. So Jesus calls us to have a zero tolerance policy, doesn't he? He says, in my life, am I pure? Not just in my actions, but am I pure? And he doesn't do this just because he's mean. He does this for our own good. Look what he says in Ephesians 5. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of such things, God wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them. We live in a world that tells us, oh, it's fine. God didn't mean what he said in there. And Jesus was just talking about old-fashioned stuff. And that had to do with their culture back then. And marriage really isn't just a man and a woman for life. That's just a suggestion, right? right? That's, that's all it is. And God didn't give people identity. They're to choose their own identity, right? Here's the truth. God loves you. God has given you identity. That's what he, we find our identity in him, not in ourselves. He's designed you for great things. He loves you. And yes, you are broken just like I am. And we are all drawn to the wrong things, but he can help us with that. And he can correct that. Our God is an amazing God. And he said, listen, don't listen to people who tell you that sin's okay. Don't tell, listen to people that say, well, live and let live. He says they're empty words. It's bringing about judgment. He says, don't partner with that. We've got to be very careful as Christians. We're not to be here as a church telling the rest of the world how to live. If Jesus isn't their Lord, that's fine. They can live with Jesus not being their Lord. We have to respect them enough. God gives them that freedom. But they also face the consequences of those things, and they hurt. We have to love our people enough, our community enough, to say, you know what? We see that you're hurting, and we have to show that there is a different way. But that starts with us actually believing there's a better way. That starts with us as a church stop this war that we have to saying, God, your ways are old-fashioned. It starts with us actually as a church honoring marriage. We're not demanding the rest of the world honor marriage. We're saying here we honor marriage. Here there is identity that we have in Christ. Here there is a creator who made each one of us. That's what we begin. Because any other words that say that God doesn't, ma- doesn't care, they're empty. And we're warned in Scripture, says don't listen to that. It's an issue of, of different kingdoms, isn't it? There's a kingdom of man that leads to destruction and we can see it around us. Look at the world. We kill each other with chemical gas and bombs and words and hatred and anger and rage and all kinds of stupid things. And there's a kingdom of God. A kingdom of God that builds with life and truth and peace and hope. God's giving us a choice. Which kingdom do we want to live a part of? I think we need to choose wisely. And that's why I say lust is a bad thing. Lust is a very destructive thing. We have to call darkness darkness. It is very bad. I know it's not politically correct to call it darkness, but it is. It's darkness, and it hurts people. We have to love our people enough. We have to love ourselves enough and one another enough to call it what it is. But you know, we have to love each other enough to also say there's a cure. And Jesus does. Jesus does. He cures purity, and he does, he does cure lust. He cures lust with purity. If you have your Bibles, I want to turn to, uh, to uh, the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 7. You're going to like this passage. This is a happy passage. It's on page 704. You have one of ours. I'm going to start reading in in verse 14. And it says this in verse 14, Mark 7, 14. He says, And Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. And after he, uh, he had left the crowd, he entered to a house and his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? 
he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out through their body. And in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For what is from within, uh, um, from out of a person's heart, that the evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, all of these things come from inside, of, from inside and defile the person. Do you see what he's saying here? Lust is not an issue of the eyes. It isn't. It's an issue of the heart. He says, if you want to be pure, you've got to start here. It's not about setting up all kinds of, of blockers on your computer screen and, and having a lot of accountability partners. Those are sometimes safety nets that we need as we, to walk. But really the change, if you want to be set free from lust, there has to be a change in the heart. There has to be purity here. That's what he's talking about. You know, it's not the things, it's, it's not the adultery that defiles a person. It's the heart that says, I'm God and I'm going to do whatever I want and I'm going to sleep with whoever I want and I don't listen to what he has to say. That's what defiles a person. That's what brings destruction. So he says, let's start, let's address the heart. And Jesus can do some great things about purifying a heart. See, lust is demanding my morals for my pleasure. That's what it does. And we then rewrite the morals so that we can have our pleasure, don't we? That's what lust does. Instead, Jesus said, there's a pure way of doing. There's a right kind of law. The solution to idolatry is simple. Let God be God. Isn't that the simple solution? Isn't it cool that we have that solution and that God actually gives us direction? What does God have to say on the, on the topic? If God had to say, this is what I want for marriage, what would he have to say? Well, isn't that handy that we memorize this? That marriage should be honored by all. Most people? No, everybody. It needs to be honored. Marriage is different. It actually exists. We can't just redefine it because we don't do it. Marriage is when God joins two people together and then we recognize it. We only have to recognize it. When God joins two people... He says, boom, married, right? That's what he does. I don't marry people. The state doesn't marry people. We can recognize marriage, but God marries. And therefore, we need to honor it because it's an act of God. We don't get the right to define it. And we can call anything marriage what we want to, but as believers, we look to say, what did God do? And we have to honor it. And because of that, there's something special about marriage. And so the marriage bed needs to be kept pure. There's something special about that relationship. Get this, sex was reserved for marriage. That's it. Between a husband and wife. That's where God said it's supposed to be. And when sex is between a husband and wife in marriage in a loving relationship, it's awesome. There's like really good sex there. And sex outside of marriage, there's degrading sex. There's sex with all kinds of consequences. Sex that we have to call safe. Because it's anything but safe. You see, sex in marriage actually works. And there's a lot of things that God made sex for. When I, my wife and I got married, we went to a really um, legalistic group of, of Christians and they told us that sex was for one thing and one thing only, and that's procreation, is to have babies. So for, it was awful. Never, ever, ever believe that. Right? Because then you feel guilty if there's anything else that comes out of that. You're like, it feels good, I should feel bad. Right? No! We, yeah, that's where babies are supposed to come from, in the most loving relationship where it's, it's the most committed. Right? Where there's a husband and a wife where we can raise kids in a healthy home. It's a tag team effort because kids are crazy, right? That's why we need that. So yeah, babies are part of that, but that doesn't stop there. Back to distance begins. Sex, it also says, is for our protection. It says that husbands and wives shouldn't deprive each other from sex. They should have it constantly. Well, not constantly, but regularly, because that would be really awkward. Regularly, 
right? Don't deprive us. Why? Because then it keeps us from falling into lust. It also helps us to enjoy what God has given us. Because the third thing that God made sex for was just pleasure. If you doubt me on that, read the Song of Psalms. Your ears will turn red. You'll be like, I can't believe that's in the Bible. <laughs> right? But it is. Because it's really great. Because God is a really great God. And he says, you know what? If you have to live together for the rest of your life, I'm going to give you something fun. Right? <laughs> it's what it is. But that's where it's supposed to be. And when it's outside of it, what we're doing is we're cheapening marriage. We're saying one of the benefits of marriage, we're just going to have anywhere else. What we're saying as a society, as a culture, that marriage and family, which is really the foundation of society and us as a people, we're saying that doesn't matter. You may think that it doesn't hurt anybody but you, but it does. It hurts the entire society, which is why God, he's so strong against it. Sex is for marriage and it's supposed to be pure and it is and it's a wonderful thing when it's there. But you know what? It's not just the sex. It's just saying this. It's not just where sex is. It's this place in society and life. It needs to be pure. It needs to be kept in a wonderful place so it can do the good things it's supposed to do. But when it's let out, it's like a fire. And which of us don't understand what a forest fire can do? And we love the bonfires at Mountain Man, don't we? It's awesome. Mm -hmm. In the right place, fire is awesome. In the wrong place, it can bring lots of destruction. And sex can do that. So it needs to start with this. If in order to handle it correctly, we need to have purity in our heart. And where does purity begin? How can we go from a society that says sex should be in all kinds of things, even G-rated movies with kids with all kinds of innuendo, and how do we dress our kids and all that? How do we can go from that to a place where we're right? Well, 1 Corinthians 6 gives us a little bit of direction. It says, flee from sexual immorality and all other sins a person commits outside of body, but with those sins are, uh, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. You know, so the first thing we need to understand is that it's dangerous. That, yeah, we're given into it. There's a desire there, a natural good desire, but it can draw us into bad things. So flee from it. Take it seriously, right? We don't play t- footsie with lust. Other, some people have a lot more freedom in this area than, than some people like me. I've got a lot of fences in my life because I have a weakness, right? I have a password on my computer. If I want to go on to, um, to disable my, my browser so I can go and see all sites, you know, it doesn't filter things real strict. You know what my password is? I'll tell you. Don't want to do it. It says this. It will cost you everything. That's my password. Because it will. You have to understand how serious this is. So I have limits. There are certain movies I can't watch that other people can. That's okay. I don't do that because I'm religious. I do that because I'm weak. And God says, in your weakness, that's fine. I'll make you strong. I'm not ashamed of that. But there are other people who can go do things that I, I can't do. That's fine. Praise God for you guys. We need Christians in those areas too, right? You have to understand where you're at. You have to flee the sexual morality. You have to listen to where you are in your heart. What are you allowing to control you? Because everything else that we do is outside our body, but even this, it decreates who we are at our very deep level. And then it goes on to say, why is it bad to be degraded at a deep level? Because you're not just you. Your bodies are special. They are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you. You don't understand how true and amazing that is? You receive this as a gift from God. It's not, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. You understand how, tr- how precious you are, believer? How much God loves you? Think about the temple and how they had to purify it and all the special rituals and all that kind of stuff just so that the high priest wouldn't die when he walked in. You have that same, whole, the very same Holy Spirit in you. You are amazing. You are awesome. It's bad to defile this because can you imagine if, if, if the Jews just said, you know what, we're going to have a barbecue inside the temple. I mean, it's the nicest, biggest tent in town, so we're going to roast a pig and, and do that kind of stuff. I don't think God will be happy. 
We have to be honest about this. I don't, own, I don't own this body anymore. I don't own this life anymore. In fact, I recognize from the very beginning that God owns all of this. And what God calls me to is actually not bad stuff. He calls me a temple of God, not a cheap barbecue joint. How about you? We don't defile ourselves because we don't want to be impure from the inside. There's a better thing that we're called for. So we flee bad things. We stay away from those things that can, that can bring us down. Not because we're afraid of those, but because of the high value that God has placed on us. I remember I got to borrow my dad. He has a cool little uh, sports car that um, I get to drive like once every five years. And, uh, <laughs> and it's all polished up. And he's a firefighter, so he likes to clean cars. And so it was all shiny, and I was going to take Amy on a date. So we were driving out to, uh, in this car, and it's all fancy. And I drive a Civic, so, you know, <laughs> so this was nice. We're driving, and there's a, there's a mud puddle on the road. I fleed <laughs> from the mud puddle, right? You know, you could take another route. You figure out where's the nice way to drive because I didn't want to defile the car. It's valuable. It had nothing to do with the mud puddle. It had everything to devalue the car that I was in. You were valuable. Avoid the things that are going to mess you up. Why would you get to them anyway? This says in 1 Peter 2. It says this, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sexual desires that wage in your, in your soul. Don't forget those first couple words, foreigners and exiles. We're living according to a whole different standard. If we went into France right now, as Americans, things would look different, right? Different kind of culture. We're from the kingdom of God, and we're living in America, and they're a different kind of culture. It's going to feel awkward. It's going to be different. That's okay. He says, all right, most areas we're supposed to adapt, but this area don't. It says, abstain from sinful desires. Don't tell the rest of the culture they're, they're awful. Just you. Abstain, abstain from the sexual desires that, that wage war in your soul. You, if you feel the battle... Say to God, I'm tapping out. I'm going to step away into the purity area a little bit. That's what you need to do. So we're all part of Christ's kingdom. So we're foreigners in this world. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 2, it says this, that, that it's God's will that you should, ha- you should be sanctified. Isn't that cool? It's God's desire you're going to succeed. It's God's desire. You went sanctified, he's turning you into a saint. You're going to have your own little name badge. You get to heaven, Saint you. How cool. And so, therefore, it's God's will that you're going to have awesome things, that he's making you a better version of who you are. And he says, so, therefore, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your bodies in a way that's holy and honorable, not passionate lusts, like the pagans who don't know God. We've been called to a better way of life. And God is at work in you, doing awesome things, and he's called us to a better way of living. So we're going to trust him and let him be that. Be sanctified. That means there has to be some self-control. We have to take responsibility for our actions. So like this, if I go onto a, a website and then I type in, it will cost you everything, I can't be like, oh, I just fell into this. Right? Look at your life. Don't <laughs> take some responsibility. There is some self-control. And of course, self-control comes from the Holy Spirit. We need his help. Now, if you're like me, when I had to study this, I felt all kinds of guilt and shame. I was like, oh, Aaron, I'm so awful. I'm in a saturated in this lustful society. And as I was even doing this, it made it even worse because I was aware of all these things in my life. I was like, oh, I am so impure, even in my very core. Like my heart isn't right, right? And so I felt awful. And then God reminded me of this wonderful passage from 1 John that says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Purity never came from you. It can't. You're already impure. If we're honest, all of us are. So if we're going to be pure, how is it going to come from? It starts with this. That we recognize that purity comes from God. And he says, listen, if you confess your sins, we've got to stop hiding. We've got to stop this silly idea that there's a lot of shame in the church. If you're struggling with things, 
You know, if you're struggling with, with porn or you're struggling with an attraction to somebody that's not your spouse, so you're struggling with adultery, or you're struggling with same such attraction, or you, you're struggling with what your identity is, are you a boy or a girl or whatever, there's no shame here. The church is a place where people can be honest. If you're struggling, you're struggling. That's honest, isn't it? But then we have to bring our honest struggles to God and say, God, this is who I am. And here's the cool thing. God won't reject you. That's awesome. He sees you just who you are and how you are. And he says, I choose you. Faithful and just. Every single time will forgive you. I messed up your plan. God's like, yeah, I know. That's why I died on a cross. I forgive you. But he doesn't just forgive us. Look what he does. He changes us. He will purify us. Where does purity come from? If we start by going to God and saying, God, I struggle. And God, I messed up. And God, I need help. And I can't free myself from this. God, I need your help. Guess what he does? He says, I forgive you and I will help you. I will purify you from what kind of of things? Mm, All unrighteousness. All of it. He changes the heart issue. He changes us from the inside out. He frees us not just from lust, but from every kind of depravity. He makes us pure. And so where we need to start is we need to start with going to God. Ourselves. With pure hearts. And with our broken ones. And saying, God, purify what's broken. So, as we bring this series to a close. What's something we learned about lust today? Well, we know that sexual purity is an, is an issue of lordship. That's where it starts. It's not an issue of the eyes. It's not an issue of temptation. It's an issue of lordship. Are you going to follow God's ways or yours? Right? And we decide to follow our own ways. Sexual immorality is an, act of, is an issue of idolatry. We're following the wrong God. We're following the flesh or culture or something else. But we also found out that Christ calls us to absolute purity. Not most purity, but absolute purity. He says, listen, this is what marriage is for. This is what it's about. This is what he calls us to. Pure hearts. We also know that purity requires submission. We have to then say to God, I'm going to do what you want. It it takes avoidance. We have to avoid the things that we know are going to cause us to stumble. It requires abstinence. We have to say no to the things that God says we shouldn't have. It also requires self-control. We actually have to take responsibility for our actions. And of course, and in that, we understand that Self-control is that gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a fruit, which means if you want to have self-control, stop trying to control your life. Start meeting with Jesus more. Start praying and, and connecting with God and serving other people as you serve God, and you'll find some amazing things in your life. All of a sudden, you're going to, after some time, you're going to start having more self-control. It's cool how it works. It's a fruit. And we also find out that purity is only available then in Christ. Only Jesus can be the one if we confess our sins as faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you struggle with this and you're like most people in our world and our society that do, know this, there is hope, there is freedom, there is purity for you and it is in Christ. So we need to turn to him. How do we do that? Well, I've got some ideas. You take out your connection card and uh, on the back side here, I've got some things that you can do, next steps. The first one you may want to do this week is maybe you just need to know God's word on this because the culture is speaking pretty loudly on this topic, aren't they? So know God's word. Maybe you say this week, I'm going to memorize Hebrews 13.4, not to bludgeon other people over the head with it, but so that God can help work in my heart so I at least know what true is. That's where to start. How about this? Maybe you read 1 Corinthians. I say six just because if you're like beginner level and you just want to know, I can only handle one chapter. But I'll tell you what, read the whole book. It's not that long and it's really great. It's a... It's a Corinth was a city that struggled with this. And if you want to see what faithfulness and righteousness and purity, how how the the church, the apostles, encouraged purity in a very impure culture, read Corinthians. 
1 Corinthians, the best one to do. So I would encourage you to read that this week. Or how about this? Maybe you need to confess your immorality. You need to go to God. Don't be worried that he's going to reject you. He won't. He's faithful and just. He'll, he'll forgive you. Just go to him. You say, I need help. But call sin, sin in your life. Be okay with that. God's okay with that. He already knows it's sin. He's not going to surprise him. Okay? So maybe you start with that this week and say, you know what? I'm going to confess my sins. And I'm going to trust you're faithful and just. Start there. Or maybe at this, maybe you need to commit to purity. Maybe in your life you recognize that you've been playing footsie with, Im- with immorality. Right? You've been just doing it enough. You're playing with fire. Maybe what you need to do is say, you know what? What's important to God needs to be important to me. And so you commit to this. And you say to God, help me with this. Because he will help you. And if you need help from, from me or the church, let us know. We will help. Maybe there's another prayer request or a commitment that you need to make or a prayer request. Write that down. And lastly, here's this one here. If all this freedom that I'm talking about, not just from, from lust, but from all the seven deadly sins and, and beyond, there's freedom in Christ. If that makes no sense to you as to what I'm talking about, but you want to have freedom, you, you're not happy with the direction and the way your life is, there's, there's a reason that you're here this morning. You know that you need God. He's here, but there's a way to meet him. And I'd like to talk to you about that. And so what I'd like you to put here is I'd like information starting a relationship with Jesus. If you write that down, let me know your contact information. Please print so I can read it. We'll, we'll get together this week. What a perfect week, Easter week. Talk about the power of Christ to save you. And, and it's not a sales pitch. We'll talk. I'll answer your questions. Your, uh, we'll go through and explain it. And if you are ready, we'll help you take the steps of faith necessary to, to be able to start that relationship with Jesus. And then we'll continue to take those steps with you as you grow up in faith. We won't abandon you. So if you're interested in that, um, make sure you mark down that, that connection card. And, uh, and there you go. Um, in a minute, we're going to take our offering. After um, we take our offering, we've got something very special because today is Palm Sunday. And so our children have been practicing. You may have heard them. And they're going to uh, they're going to have a special little short thing right after we take our offering um, as a way of, of celebrating the fact that we have a king that could set us free. So let's pray uh, for this, and then we'll take our offering. Let's do. Heavenly Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy that you are a God who sets us free. Thank you that you give us a standard that we at least know what's right. Give us the common, the good sense to call right, right, and truth, truth. Help us to be a church that though we are broken and we live in a very impure culture, Father, purify us from the inside out, not the other way around. God, change us. Help us to submit to your lordship. Let us avoid the things in this culture that that bring us down, Father. And and Father, I pray that as you bring us back into your kingdom in in a way that, uh, and through our obedience, that as we align with what you have to say, Father, then... Now, you will bless the families of this church and the people of this church. God, let us, the, the culture around us, see the quality of our relationships and the joy that we have and let it be attractive to them. Father, they could see uh, the darkness in their own life because of the light in ours. And Father, as we commit to these things, I pray also that uh, you give us a heart for those that are lost, that those that live in darkness and don't even know it that actually think they're living in the light and, and are suffering because of it, Father. We pray that you give us your heart for them as well. Help us to reach them in a way full of love and of truth. And God, I pray that you would set us free from ourselves and change us from the inside out to be pure people. And as we do that for these commitments that we've made, Lord, I pray that you use these acts of obedience as, as just a sign of our faith. But Father, we ask that you would save us. And Lord, and we also pray for our commitments, not just commitments, but the prayer requests and, and, the, uh, and the offerings that we get to, to bring to you. Thank you for receiving what we have. Invest all of these things in your kingdom, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.